Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and you are listening to an episode of the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a normal book club, except nobody knows if you didn't do the reading. I'm here with Heather Haverleski, who writes the Ask Polly advice column for New York Magazine. Hey, Heather. Hi. And I'm here with Jill Hopkins, host of the Morning Amp on WBEZ's sister station, Vocalo. Hey, Jill. Hey, Greta. Okay, so we're going to talk about the first chunk of the Testaments, which is up to page 133. That is through chapter 23. That means, obviously, we will be discussing spoilers up to that point in the book. As you read the next chunk this week, we want you to chime in. You can record yourself and email it to us at nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. So speaking of voicemails, I actually think we should start with one that we got from Emily in New Jersey because I feel like she's saying something that a lot of us probably thought when we got to the end of this reading section. On the topic of baby Nicole, let me just say now that I've gotten to page 133, I knew it. I knew that third narrator was baby Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, were you guys also like very non-surprised by that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll get to the whole Daisy baby Nicole thing a little later on. I actually think that we should start with Lydia because we hear from her first and then we'll do Agnes and then we'll go to Daisy. Uh, before we do that, Jill, I want to know, did you have you read ahead? I did not read ahead. You did not read well, ahead. Well, first of all, let me tell you, Greta delivered this book to my desk by hand <laughs> and we were sitting and chatting and I'm flipping through it oh, yeah. and there's a huge yellow post-it note that just says, <laughs> do not, Jill. Do not read past here. <laughs> like right on the front of oh, like the part funny. nine of the book. And I was like, damn, Greta, okay, she's serious. <laughs> so I did she it. She doesn't I, trust you. She doesn't. You know what? She shouldn't. <laughs> I do have to say there's something kind of fun about reading such a suspenseful book this slowly. You know, like yeah. I there is there are no circumstances beyond the fact that we're doing this book club where I would have just been like, Okay, baby Nicole, whatever, I guess I'm not gonna keep reading tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of it's kind of enjoyable. It is enjoyable, right? I don't know. I feel like I'm normally I'm going through books so quickly. It's kind of fun to know that I get to take my time with this one and really think about it. Yeah. Although I could have timed this better. I finished it and I still had like 40 minutes of my commute left yesterday. What do I do now? <laughs> Are you listening to the audiobook? Oh, you were on a train. I am a, I am listening to the audiobook, yes. Oh. And how is it? Who's reading it? It's, um, oh, geez, what is her name? It's Ann Dowd, Anne Dowd, who plays Aunt Lydia in the TV show. Mm-hmm. And because oh. this is actually, I listened to it also when I was driving back from Minnesota over the weekend. And then. So uh, it sounds a little like this. <laughs> Yeah, good one. <laughs> and then it's May Whitman is Daisy. And I forget the name of the young woman who is Agnes. Do you remember, Jill? I'm gonna look look it up. Is it like Dallas something? Is it Dallas Bryce Howard? Yes, I believe okay. it is Dallas Bryce Howard. Yeah, so it's a pretty great cast. I will say, actually, Heather, I wanted to follow up with you on this. They all say aunt. 
Oh, like every last one of them, for what it's worth. They Maybe they just know that's uh, can, the Canadian way or something. Is it the Canadian way? <laughs> I don't know. I guess that makes sense. There's actually, this is actually trending on Twitter right now. Uh, the correct, quote unquote, correct pronunciation <laughs> of the word A-U-N-T. Oh, really? Yeah. There's, a, a, oddly enough, in, within black Twitter, this is a, huh. there's a theory going on <laughs> that uh, black folks say aunt and white folks say aunt. Oh. And there's a lot of back and forth. Well, yeah, because oh. that's not That's not how correct. words work. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. But there's, a, I mean, and, and oddly enough, it has nothing to do with this with the Handmaid's Tale. It's just, it fell out of the sky. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, Leave know. it to Twitter, huh? So the Testaments has three main narrators, and they're all, at least so far, separate storylines. And none of them is offered who is the narrator of Handmaid's Tale. So we have Lydia, the aunt, and then we've got Agnes, who's a kid growing up in Gilead, and then we have Daisy, who's a kid growing up in Canada. So yeah, what's what's your guys' take on Lydia? I mean, I don't know. I just have, I just think she's, I think she might be the most fascinating one. I agree. I think that her story is one that I was most curious about, mm-hmm. left over from Handmaid's Tale, and the the way that they're kind of unrolling the backstory on who and why you get picked to be an aunt, aunt, an aunt. <laughs> if there's an aunt, you are. I'm going to say aunt. Well, because that's one of the things that I wondered. That those women didn't seem particularly old. Uh-huh. Or particularly like out of childbearing age, right? So I, I had no idea what the sorting hat was about. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it—I forget where exactly the line was, but she says something about how she has learned her very her Bible very well recently. It yeah. Was some, see, you know, that's what I think we're going to see moving forward because it surprised me that she was a lawyer. You wouldn't peg uh, Aunt Lydia. From right. The Handmaid's Tale as a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, like a family judge or something, right? Yeah. I, I I kind of wondered if she, you know how towards the end of her story she's um, she's in, at the stadium yeah. being mm. sorted with everyone else, speaking yeah. of sorting hats? Yeah. I feel like we're going to see the machinations of what um, is going on in her mind and how she copes. Like at first with the statue, because they reveal that she's pretty narcissistic yeah. um, in that scene. I was a little worried that she'd just be flatly evil. Mm. Yes. Um, but actually, it's it's pretty interesting that she's writing this document that, yeah. we, that no one knows about. I mean, you, you're getting some idea that there's some subversive kind of current in what she's how she's living now. And possibly she's, well, I mean, she is starting to sound more and more conflicted about the entire situation. Yeah. I think I, she's the most interesting character of the three by yeah, far because... Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's not just uh, reacting to what's happening around her. She actually is um, possibly a semi-ambivalent architect of Gilead. Well, and is she an ambivalent architect or could it be that, like, could she actually be the insider in Gilead who's just, like, Mm. put herself in a position of power so that she can help as many people as possible? I mean, that's the part that that I've been wondering about. Like, could she be the mole? Well, definitely she's the mole. You think definitely? Yeah. It's all a little bit predictable, honestly. Yeah, like there, yeah. there are a lot of things that are like, we know what's happening now. <laughs> yeah. Baby so, Nicole's going to, you know, it's just yeah. like, okay. All right. Well, let's listen to this voicemail from a pretty good old friend of mine. Hello, Greta Johnson and friends. Longtime co-host, first time caller. Sorry. I did that. Book club. <laughs> 
I have questions. What is Aunt Lydia's deal? Yes, she is serving up some Whoopi Goldberg and Sister Act, Maria Sound of Music, Subversive Nun realness at the moment. But she's working inside this awful machine. So is she actually doing good? She's trying to, maybe. Maybe that's where we're headed. She's actually a part of the Underground Railroad situation and that kind of thing. But I don't know if it's always possible to work inside the system to do more good than harm. She might be doing more harm than good. So that is my question for the three of you ladies. Is Aunt Lydia working inside the machine a valid way to try to be a part of the resistance? If, if that's what she's doing. So yeah, what do you think, Heather? I mean, if it, if it's obvious that she's a mole, then like, and obviously I guess we don't know what she has done or will do, so maybe it's too early to say, but do you think that the good she's doing within the system is worth it? This sounds very on the nose uh, about our current political situation, actually. Sure. And it's because the question comes up a lot and it's sort of like, um, I don't know. I mean, I think if she's actually saving people from Gilead, then I don't know. It's a it's a I think that we're just going to feel as ambivalent as she does about her role. You know, sure. I kind of feel like the most viable, like believable arc that she could have would be that she saw all these people getting shot in the stadium Mm-hmm. And she realized she had to think fast and pretend to be a true believer in the cause. Right. And she adapted and she actually kind of unwittingly helped to become an architect of this system because she's a smart person. She's a judge. She has good insights into how to sort of handle matters of quote unquote justice. But then she feels very guilty about all of those layers of her involvement that were completely uh, almost like driven by this idea that she's, you know, going to die if she doesn't do something. Because it seems to me that they have all these professional women together, and it kind of sounds like some of them are going to just get shot on sight because they're too smart. And- yeah, the, the stadium full of overeducated women was like, yeah. I mean, it continues. <laughs> it was similar in Handmaid's Tale where those were the always, you know, like that scene where Alfred tries to go buy some cigarettes and her card is turned down. Yeah. And, you know, those moments of like so, so easily recognizable to what we're working within in this modern day and age. And then seeing how quickly it can all turn that is, are just like deeply terrifying. Yeah. I wonder if there isn't like a sprinkling of Stockholm syndrome happening after sure. a, a long period of time being, you know, nobody's not we're all susceptible to indoctrination yeah whether or not we're you know overeducated i wonder if if she's starting to believe what she's selling at least in terms of being an authority figure when she's talking about how she's the first one in her family to have gone to college and you know the first one and everybody said she couldn't do it and all this stuff i wonder if there's that nagging uh, or, you know, now I'm the one in charge now. Sure. You all said I couldn't do it. You're describing an arc that's actually the opposite of mine, where she's going to get more and more narcissistic as she has more power. Whereas I'm thinking she's going to be undermining Gilead more and more as she feels guiltier and guiltier about how she has a direct hand in oppressing yeah. these women. Well, and I guess mine is kind of in the middle then, because I wonder if she's been doing it the whole time. And if she's just doing constant math about... You know, if she if she's helping enough people in one way, then it's OK if she's giving Commander Judd child brides 
because the other people are being helped, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, yeah I, how, <laughs> how do you justify? Yeah, I'm the child bride supplier, but I'm right. really working with the good guys. Right. <laughs> and that's like, it's a very fucked up calculus, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's, I was actually thinking about it the other day because I've been uh, rewatching The Good Place because the new season starts soon. Yeah. And I was just watching that trolley problem episode. Mm-hmm. And I forget who the philosopher actually is, but it's the whole idea, you know, if you're in a, if you're driving a train on the tracks and you could either kill five people or one person, like, what do you do? Do you stay on the track where you're about to kill five or do you swerve to kill the one? And, and, and like, is the math that simple? You know, and then they start introducing all the variables to exactly. To well, it's one of the that. construction workers and ex-boyfriend. <laughs> but you know, it's also like right because if you're helping women escape from Gilead, then maybe you know if you're helping enough women, then may, I don't know. It's a really, it's a really fascinating. Yeah. Do you let them question. be set up to go through the system only to swoop in towards uh, at a different point in the system to help them get out of the system or do you keep them from going through the system in the first place? Right. Well, and who knows, maybe originally they were like, let's make all these women sex slaves. And you know, Lydia is the one to be like, no, no, no. It's once a month. They can still do their own grocery shopping. She is a lawyer. Maybe she's a master negotiator. Right. Like maybe she was in there from the beginning helping mitigate this horrible system as much as she possibly could. Yeah. Putting constraints on this sort of extremist uh, right vision in a lot that these of ways, had. Gilead they have seems like it could be much more violent. Really, if they're the only... rounding people up into the stadium, you know, mm. I, I sort of want her if she's going to be this voice that's sort of questioning Gilead from the inside. I want her to be smarter than Gilead because Gilead itself is sort of dumb, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is an inherent problem. An inherent challenge with this book, right? Because you have The Handmaid's Tale. It was written in, what is it, 1985? Yeah. 85. Writing that book at that time and writing a very similar tone of book at now are kind of two different things. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I found myself frustrated anytime the book kind of repeated things from the first book hmm. and took us through those experiences again. I kind of felt like, or if a scene was too of the moment, like just ripped from the headlines feeling, you know what I mean? Mm. I started to feel like, come on, man, don't just turn on the news and write it. Because the thing about The Handmaid's Tale was you had this feeling like this is possible. I understand the, the psychological oppression of it. So I'm, I'm just curious with Lydia how that's going to play out, basically. Like how do you, how do you make Gilead seem interesting when I feel like we've kind of run circles around it in The Handmaid's Tale already. We kind of know how sort of like primitive and yeah, the weaknesses of it, essentially. Like sure. the, you could have a brothel in the middle of this. And basically the men are getting away with all this stuff. And the women are sort of have blinders on or are mm-hmm. kept in blinders. Um, so that's something that I felt like, is this a vision from still from 1986? Because I want it to mm-hmm. feel totally updated and you know because in the vision in 1986 felt prescient and this prescient god do i know how to pronounce that word (laughs) i think it is prescient but it's just one of those real weird words yeah (laughs) so yeah i just want it to feel very modern at all times you know and there are times when it feels like it's still 1986 if that makes sense yeah, I mean, that's interesting because, I don't know, I mean, maybe to a certain extent that's even a device in and of itself, right? Because it's not advancing. It yeah. can't, right? There is no progress to be had in this society. Yeah. And so yeah. then they are just worried they're losing their reproducers and what to do with that. 
I want Lydia to be a super genius, I guess, because we have two, <laughs> you know, the other two characters are kids. So I just yeah. I want her to be like a mastermind that sort of is smarter than the system, smarter than the commanders, I, smarter than the... I like to think that she might be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I know they left us on one cliffhanger, but I feel like... Lydia's whole existence right now is a cliffhanger yeah. for me. Well, yeah. and it's fair to say too that we know that things are on things are headed in a downward spiral for Gilead. Yes. You know, I mean, she's got that line pretty early on where she says, "Right now I still have some choice in the matter, not whether to die but when and how." Isn't that freedom of a sort? Yeah. Like she knows she's screwed, which is why she's writing all this stuff down, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that part of it is pretty interesting, actually, that I haven't thought about. Like, if you're, if you're going to watch it fall apart, I mean, that should be pretty satisfying. Oh, yeah. And she's got all these papers on everybody, too. Oh, yeah. So, she could really. Oh, yeah. This ruin is her. She's just ready people. to fuck shit up, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, yeah. and did you all notice she referred to one of the aunts as her enemy? Oh, yeah, which just goes to show it doesn't matter where you work. You're going to hate some bitch that works there. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Vidalia? Yes. Is she the yes. one she hates? Yeah, she refers to her as her enemy. And then there's this other scene during Easter dinner where she's watching Vidal- or Vidala. I think it's Vidala. Vidala and... Uh, oh, more Star Wars yes, than exactly. Onion. Vidala and Helena and Elizabeth She's like watching them all share glances and thinking that they're up to something, which I thought it was just one kind of passing line. And maybe the something was just that one of them took one too many hard boiled eggs. But yeah, there was a lot of talk about food portions. It's uh, it was like they talked about it so much. I feel like it might come up again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it sounds like those three aunts were also the ones who proposed this new plan to keep women from escaping. Mm -hmm. And, and there was this other line that Lydia had about how she knew she had to bring it to commander Judd because he was going to hear about it anyway. That also made me think that maybe she is doing what she can to keep these bitches in line whenever possible. She refers to them as pious too, doesn't she? The yeah. other women, yeah. she's a little bit of a tell. Right. Like maybe, you know, and initially you might think, oh, of course she would be really delighted to be surrounded by all these pious women. But yeah, maybe that's not at all what she. Maybe that speaks to her being uh, a lawyer or a judge and just being like facts. Boom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. don't have time Very for Very secular. Your... Laws. Yeah. 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 So should we chat about Agnes? Is there anything else y'all want to mention about Lydia before we move on to our next storyline? Mm-hmm. I, I do want to hear what, the, the, you know, I want to hear the rest of her flashback very much. Like, I want to hear post, post stadium. Yeah. 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 I need to know what happened, like, the next week. Yeah, the whole breaking the women up into those three categories, it was either stadium, high school, or box store. Yeah. Was like, oh, God, what's happening in those other places? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, because cool. I think the box store was for the wives, it sounded like. Yeah. But yeah, it was just like, oh God, what is happening and why? In a minute, we're going to talk about Agnes and Daisy. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. 
Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Agnes, Heather, I will say one thing that I do think kind of takes this uh, envisioning of Gilead to the next level is hearing from kids who more or less grew up in it. Because, mm-hmm. like, I think it is one thing if if you still remember life as it was before and that was most of your life. But if you literally don't know anything else like that terrifying reality of not knowing any better I do think makes the whole thing a lot scarier I like that but I sort of want her uh Agnes to be I I mean okay so this is my weakness as a reader probably sure no no this isn't how it should go you know I know how the story should go (laughs) no it's sort of like a common malady among TV viewers too. If you ever read the comments on oh, different yes. shows, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, you you made the wrong you choice. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, but I do kind of feel like if you have there are two kids, right? One teenager and one younger kid. Agnes, the teenager is Daisy, mm-hmm. and I don't know. With Agnes, it's like, yeah, she's grown up in Gilead. She's she's she should be kind of brainwashed, right? I mean, if the system is working. Um, but she's pretty skeptical. Um, yeah. She has. I would love it if she were more like this young Aunt Lydia-like soldier who is a tr- complete true believer. But instead, she's sort of like. I, I mean, the thing that bugged me about her is she's she has this really. I mean, I, I thought it was original that she has this good mom, Tabitha. Yes, yeah. and then the good mom dies. Yes. But then, who do we have? We have an indifferent commander, which we've seen before. Yeah. And we have not, I'm just like, I'm going to start by blowing every character out of the water. I just, <laughs> this this is just the the main thing that bothered me. And then we also have the bad wife who's evil and is undercut. I mean, yeah. the wife is t- so exactly like Serena Joy from The Handmaid's Tale. That's true. But also, like. It's frustrating. Yeah. Like, this feels very Cinderella-y. Mm-hmm. Right. It's also just any, like, your garden variety, like, wicked stepmother, yeah. for sure. And the friends are either harpies, like, shrill and terrible, harpies. like Shuma, <laughs> Shunam, Shunamite. Oh, what a oh horrible person. I texted Greta. I was like, I fucking hate Shunamite. <laughs> She's Regina George. <laughs> I hate her so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, she's such she's such a terrible, nasty little enemy. And then there's, a you know, Becca, who's, like, kind of a wimpy sucker with a bad dad. Yeah. God. You know, it's not, I just feels like, of course she's, it just feels like Agnes is kind of surrounded by things that are going to make her cynical. And I kind of feel like, why should all the women be so bad? You know what I mean? You don't have any example, except for Tabitha, who mm-hmm. immediately dies. Right. <laughs> and Becca, who's kind of a sucker. I mean, I guess those are two. Yeah. Yeah, we I, got but two. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> but the sound of, right, the sound of like, women being mean to other women all the time. I understand that that's a very governing idea of The Handmaid's Tale. Like, the women help to keep the other women down. Yeah. And it is certainly true in reality to some extent, but it also feels like a repetitive tone that we hear over and over again. And I want more... 
I just want more complexity in the women characters where it's sort of like you don't have to just either be a hero, right, mm-hmm. or a sucker or a harpy. Yeah. You know, think, it just feels very black and white to me. I sure. feel like we're getting set up for Becca to, like, really fuck some shit up. You think so? Oh. I really do. I don't know why. I, well, a, a little bit. Well, because we're, we're getting to know about, you know, how how sensitive she is and how... Uh, susceptible to crying and, uh, you know, actual human outbursts. Yeah. Yeah. And then we find out that her father's a fucking monster. Yeah. Like a well-known molester. Yeah. Like, I feel like she, Becca's probably a powder keg of something. Yeah, but she could also be an evil powder keg, like at the end of (laughs) Invasion of the Vice Snatchers. That's true. the last guy points. You know, it's like, she's the, you know, the Judas of the, Hmm. of the scenario. Or she just because she's just, weak. She right? she yeah. she. Well, I mean that's that's what we're being being told that feelings are like equal weakness in this way, and that Shunamite's shitty feelings, anger is also a feeling. Like yeah. being mean to your friend is also you know conveying feelings. She's. Uh, I wonder if Becca's finally gonna like. If, is Becca the gonna be or Shunamite the one that's gonna set her off? Is she gonna find out about her father? Is that what's gonna set her Interesting. off? Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I, I I'm keeping my eye on that one. In some ways, I do think this is the storyline that it's hardest for me to see where it's gonna go. You yeah. Know? I mean, like I, I assume she's gonna get out of there somehow eventually, but the actual specifics of it, I do wonder about. I do think it's interesting. Heather, kind of to your point, like in that first paragraph of hers is essentially like she says something like, I agree with you that Gilead ought to fade away, but I should still be allowed to hold on to the little bits of it that were good because there were still some really good parts of it, which did kind of make me think that maybe she was going to be the one who was allegiant to it because it was good to her, you know? And I do think in some ways that storyline could have been more interesting. Like what if she had just had Tabitha all the time? Then... You know, and I get that, I don't know, maybe that just wouldn't have been an interesting enough storyline, but to a certain extent, she at least would have been a slightly more complex character because she'd be more conflicted about this place, right? Yeah. I feel like you have three people who are very, um, we're learning more and more about how they hate this system and they're hating it more and more. And it feels to me like there should be someone who's becoming more and more of like a soldier and a true believer. I love this place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would create a lot more question in a really interesting way, I think, around what would happen next then, right? Because they're, like, actually opposed to each other as opposed to just being in different places and mm-hmm. agreeing. Yeah, I mean, Agnes is, her life is getting darker and darker. The hand, what happens to the handmaiden and how dark she, the Ugh. dark place she lands in after that yeah, is just really intense. It's like her, her entire worldview has been shaken and she's surrounded by people who, I mean, she can't trust anyone. It's yeah. an interesting scenario. It's, it's, it's emotionally upsetting and interesting to see how she'll find any kind of person who has an allegiance to her, especially after the visit to the dentist. Yeah. Again, the dentist feels like a repeat of the doctor. I want new things. Yeah. I Give mean, me new it, things, Greta. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my fault, Heather. Um, yeah, the dentist... You're referring to the scene when uh, Agnes is taken to the... Well, she goes to the dentist alone for the first time. Normally, somebody goes with her. And the dentist gives her an exam and says her teeth are perfect and then grabs her boob and then essentially, like, forces her into giving him a hand job. The thing that really struck me about that section was that, like, it at least seemed like 
there was freedom from here. You know, right? Like we we talked about this in Handmaid's Tale. This was something Lydia said mm-hmm. about how freedom from versus freedom to. And sure, ladies, you don't get freedom to do whatever you want now, but you at least get freedom from being molested by your dentist when you're a kid. Yeah. And that I found really striking because it hadn't been made that clear that dudes could just get away with that to that extent, I think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe dudes who are disposable to society could not get away because we saw those folks. They were what they were just like cops, security, that kind of thing. That's true. Yeah, it's almost like they were that was retrofitted in because, you know, that part where Aunt Lydia says, I don't want to make that Becca's dad angry because he's the only good dentist. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. It's like there's a reason why he can't be, you know, he has some power. And I think that's a really good point. Joe, because it's it's sort of like, wait a minute, why wouldn't this guy get in trouble? Oh, yeah, he has this thing that people need. And as long as you have something that people need, essentially you can abuse that power very easily. Yeah, it just seems to me like that still goes against so much of what some aspect of Gilead is, mm-hmm. you know, which, and I don't know, I think, too, the thing that really struck me about this section is just the fact that, like, I thought it would suck to be a handmaid in Gilead. Mm-hmm. Turns out it super sucks to be a teenage girl in Gilead. Yeah. It's hard enough to be a teenage girl. Right. Period. <laughs> no pun intended. But <laughs> Jill, speaking of periods, we actually have a voicemail. Let's listen to it. Hey, Nerdette. Blessed be the fruit. I'm reading the Testament and came across the passage on page 82 and 83 this morning. That was the most Margaret Atwoody, perfect, disgusting, upsetting, and weirdly hilarious passage that I just have to read out loud. Soon I could expect blood to come out from between my legs. That had already happened to many of the girls at school. Why couldn't God have arranged it otherwise? Bet he had a special interest in blood, which we knew about from scripture verses that had been read out to us. Blood, purification, more blood, more purification. Blood shed to purify the impure, though you weren't supposed to get it on your hands. Blood was polluting, especially when it came out of girls. Oh, my God. But God once (laughs) liked having it spilled on his altars. Though he'd given that up, said Aunt Este, in favor of fruits, vegetables, silent suffering, and good deeds. The adult female body was one big booby trap, as far as I could tell. If there was a hole, something was bound to be shoved into it, and something else was bound to come out. And that went for any kind of hole. God, she's so amazing. I love her. I love the show. Thank you so much. Bye. Isn't it just such a great reading? <laughs> I felt that way when I read that too. Yeah. Um, um just like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not not true. No. Blood and holes. Blood and holes. Is there a part of, of the, the story that when we get into the Daisy and Agnes parts that feels like a YA novel when you're reading it? Like yes. it has a certain, you know feel a, a kind of a Katniss feel too. Yeah, <laughs> yes. especially uh-huh. with Agnes. I feel like Daisy has a little more like reflective skills. Well, you know, to me, it's like Hunger Games meets Women's Studies 101 circa 1994. <laughs> just because like a special it, kind of nightmare. <laughs> it's it, Yeah, it's just, it's a very common thing to talk about, you know, how women's bodies are controlled and their blood and how men fear the period blood and I mean, this is like just the canon kind of. Um, Before we get to Daisy, one thing we have not discussed about Agnes is that she's Alfred's daughter, right? Like the original daughter from before Gilead started. 
Yeah. Do we all agree on that? Yeah. Those her memories that she's finally running through. Oh, right. She's running through the woods. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So we have two characters who are basically the daughters. But it's also kind of obvious once you start reading. You're yes. like, okay, this is Alfred's daughter, and this is, I mean, it's it's pretty telegraphed. It's not, it doesn't even seem like it's supposed to be a mystery, exactly, yeah. That, yeah. that Daisy is is baby Nicole, for example. Right. Like, it's kind of coded into it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, we already kind of talked about Daisy, but, like, we we know her parents were murdered. God, so this is where the Pearl Girls thing really comes into play, which is very interesting. Yeah. I have a lot of questions around that. I don't understand the Pearl Girls. Can anyone ex- do a Pearl Girl explainer? Pearl Girl? I Pearl think they're Girl. future aunts. Yeah, that's what I'm getting out of it. They're missionaries. Yeah. And did Lydia say that she created that whole program of the yes. Pearl Girls? Okay. She did. So it's her math. This is where she's the mastermind. She creates this whole yeah. new class of human. Yeah, but she let Commander Judd think it was his idea. Right. Been there, right. sister. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and yeah, we don't know. And and she said something about how the, the Pearl Girls, which is very difficult to say, report everything to her. Yeah. So then she gets to decide what she tells the commander about their yeah. espionage research, right? Unless yeah. she knows that he'll find out through other channels. That's true. Right. That's mm. true. What are what do you guys think about Ada? This woman who wears a leather jacket and just happened to be at the riot. The friend of the, she's friends with the parents, right? Yeah. With, uh, what are their names? Neil and... Melanie? Melanie. Yeah. Yes. And so she's there. Does she know Daisy from before? Like... I don't know. I almost wonder if she's Daisy's mom, actually. Like, is that off-red in this? <gasps> oh, Shut up. Because, you know, how she's like you, always I there. I hope you're not getting this from the, from no, the TV show Heather. also. <laughs> no, no I'm suspicious. <laughs> No, you got ahead in your own way, Greta. <laughs> that is just my very nerdy guess. Because she just seems like she's always there and she is not a good mom figure, but she's also just like seems very conveniently to show up at the right time. And all she the time. knows a lot of stuff. Yeah. But is she, she didn't disclose any of the stuff yeah. before. Wow. Mm. I could And be she wears totally a leather wrong. jacket, which you can imagine Alfred. To oh, turning yeah, for to, sure. Yeah. Turning to leather in and the I wake mean, of couldn't you, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't you totally picture a handmaid who's been deeply traumatized and has this kid and is like super fired up about fighting the cause and so then is like, okay, kind people, take the take care of this cat for me. I'm gonna go fuck shit up yeah. as much as I can, but I'm gonna keep an eye on this cat that you're watching for me. You know? Wow. That you know it's kinda sad. Yeah. But also, ooh, what a twist that would be. Yeah, that's a good twist. That's a good twist. But I'm still suspicious that you had some way of knowing this. <laughs> I'm going to put I post-it didn't. notes all over your desk. I'm going to get. So I'm going to hire someone to go there and write a bunch of. Don't don't find out anymore about the TV show. The thing is, I was very cautious to not read any book spoilers, but I figured the TV show, like learning more about that, is kind of fair game. Is my thought. Yeah, I mean, it's out there. It is right, out there. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it existed before this book did. And and yeah, we had gotten a couple of voicemails of people being like, I can't believe how much this ties into what's in the TV show, uh, which got me thinking I should at least. Well, shoot, maybe we better power watch the binge watch the rest of the TV show. Well, that's together. when I was like, well, I'll just read the recaps on Vulture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 
Wow, um, I feel like I can't even think anymore because I'm just thinking about Ada and whether she's offered it or <laughs> no. not. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. I need we to know more so about Ada now. I mean, I feel like she's the only person who could be her so far that we've come across, right? Yeah, that's true. I was kind of, I had kind of given up on Alfred being in the picture at all. I would just figured she was long dead, and I was like, oh, it's, oh. it's so sad that this is not even going to have any Alfred in it. Well, that's I just have hopes that she is. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's also one other character in this storyline who is named... Uh, who who Daisy says seems creepy. She calls him a perv. His name is George. And he spends a lot of time in the bathroom. And that's all we know about him. But the fact that he is named also is like, yeah. is this a clue? Mm. Who's that guy? What's he Nick. Do? It's Nick. You think it's Nick? Nick. Maybe it's... Because, you know, Nick liked to be alone a lot, and he didn't talk that much. <laughs> he spent a lot of time in the bathroom. And he You're seems right. kind of like a perv at first, too. Right? He seems That's weird. That's true. Yeah. Drying that car all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Drying that car like curves do. <laughs> you know what they say. About common curves. sign. <laughs> I do think one thing I did really love about Daisy's storyline is that she had some beautiful lines about trauma. Like she said, the day after her parents died, she said, I wasn't the same person as I was before, even though I looked similar. And then when they're at Sanctuary Care, and uh, she sees all these women who had just escaped from Gilead come in and, you know, the woman says something like, don't worry, you're safe. And they just break down. Mm-hmm. And she says that thing about how at first when she saw that she it took her a really long time to figure out why they seemed so upset at that moment. And then she realized it's because you have to hold everything in until the moment that you finally realize you're safe and then you can let it go. Yeah. Which yeah, is just good- like... I thought that was very. Uh, she had showed a lot of empathy in that in that scene that she doesn't really have before that. Like she's yeah. not really that sympathetic a character. Um, she doesn't tell us that she's a little bit kind of tough. We don't learn that much about her until that moment, and then it's like, oh, that's very compassionate. I like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. You know, I mean, partly one thing we don't know is how much of what we're reading right now is actually still in the past, right? Because Daisy and Agnes are both, I mean, they're, they're witness testimonies that they're saying. Yeah, who are they testifying to? Who are they testifying to and how long has it been? It also, uh, this is very intense, but so both of, like, they're labeled as witness 369A and 369B, mm. which makes me think they're both testifying in the same case. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what actually, you know, like what the case is. Yeah. Is the, the implication is Gilead is long gone when they're testifying, though, right? Because yes. they kind of talk about it like it's Yes, it's dead. or at least it's freshly gone. Yeah. Maybe it's Lydia's trial. It could be. So and that's Ooh. the other thing is like her sections are called the Ardua Hall holograph, which like what does that mean? I keep picturing Princess Leia coming out of... <laughs> it's like the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> She's just... You know, there. like... A, a when, do they mention, a, when do they mention that? Like, that's what it says at the top of every one of her sections. At Lyd- on Lydia's sections? Yeah. So and I just that's don't where it is. get what that means in that context. Mm-hmm. Like, is it just... It's funny. I just read it as a place. Yeah, like, is a, it a place or is it like a, a simulation? <laughs> She lives in a simulation. I would like it to be a a 3D simulation of evil aunts. Well, she does start by talking about a statue of herself. Maybe this is a future (laughs) statue of herself, but it's a hologram because in the future, 
all statues will be holograms. Oh my Love God. It. Love it. Seems <laughs> as, as likely as anything else. Yeah, that's true. So what are y'all's other like big questions going from the section that we've read into the next chunk? I'm curious as to whether these the two girls' paths cross and yeah. in what way. Yeah. If they're both connected enough to be uh, A and B. Right. And not A and F. Right. Then there's something that's connecting them besides just their shared mother. Right. Whatever. That neither mm-hmm. of them know. Yeah. Either. And actually, that that would make it very interesting if you talk about two people who grew up in completely different ways. I mean, you know, they're related, and yet one grew up within the system, one grew up outside of this, you know, oppressive regime system. Um, and maybe they have to, you know, we can hope that they have to, like, help to overthrow Gilead together, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's sort of part of why I want Agnes to be a little bit more of like a slightly pro-Gilead robot because that creates more conflict between her. You know, there's a little bit of overlap between Agnes and Daisy that I, you know, which kind of makes sense. But it's like you kind of want to separate that because I want to see contrasting things, you know, in conflict with each other. Yeah. That makes sense. A clash. Yeah. Yeah, They're both kind of of similar caricatures of teenage girls. Yeah. And also they're both a kind of becoming cynical and dark about the world around them, yeah. right? To me, Agnes and Daisy right now are really mirrors of each other. Yeah. So it's almost like reading the same character again to me. That's the experience that I'm having with it. Now, maybe they just completely diverge, you know, or it yeah. becomes really an interrelational thing where Ada uh, and Daisy meet up and then they they rescue Agnes or, you know, and suddenly they're interacting yeah. with each other, which is, you know, I mean, that would be... Amazing. I do wonder if it's easier to tell the difference between Agnes and Daisy when you're doing the audiobook, since they are voiced by different characters. It is nice. It is very helpful. And then they each do, like, you know, when your parents are reading to you and they do the voices, they do (laughs) the voices (laughs) of all of the different, you know, teachers and students and other folks in their lives. So that, that, that is a little helpful. Did either of y'all catch the weird reference to the glass and metal thing in Neil's safe and also fixate on what on earth that could possibly be? Yeah, because yeah. it came and went. She was obsessed with it for like yeah. half a chapter and yeah. then we never heard from it again. Yeah. yeah. And the way she meant, she says something about it coming up later kind of too, right? Like she didn't know what it was at the time. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that made me think this is going to turn up and what on earth? Could, and she thinks it's a toy. It's not a camera because she knows what cameras are. <sighs> What doesn't you? This is so stupid. <laughs> so when you mentioned the holograph Princess Leia, what does holograph Princess Leia come out of? She comes out of R two D two. You think R2-D2. it was R two D two? Maybe yeah. it's like R two D two is in there. The door you, opens you solved up. it, Jill. A small door. You're reading opens ahead, Jill. <laughs> or is it a lightsaber? I mean, maybe it, it opens up, and then inside is a little holograph. And that holograph tells the story of Aunt Lydia. I don't know. So glad there's a Star Wars crossover in this book. Really needed that. <laughs> it could be Offred. Maybe Ada isn't Offred, and maybe Offred is dead, but that's the holograph of Offred telling her oh. story. Because you know how at the end of Handmaid's Tale, we have the yeah. text or that she had this audio, right? Yep. It's all tapes. based on this audio. Yeah, yeah. tapes. I, they do say it's tapes. Oh, well, that was 1986, and maybe what they really meant. 
correction <laughs> <laughs> is that they were listening to a holograph of her talking or watching a holograph. Okay, well, with that, I think we should call it. Uh, so next week, we're going to read up to page 283, which is through chapter 46. Jill, don't worry. I see you writing that down, but there's another post-it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Once you finish, send us your thoughts and questions and feelings and predictions and grievances before next Wednesday, September 25th. That is when we will tape. You can also chime in on Twitter with hashtag NerdatBookClub. If you do send us a little voicemail, you can mail that to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. The show is produced by me and Justin Bull. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter. We'll do fun links and stuff in that. That you can get at wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. All right, that's it, y'all. We love you. Love it. Can't wait to read more about Ada. Now I'm fixated on Ada. <laughs> I, now, yeah, seriously, I've shifted focus completely. Yeah. How excited are you to go home and be able to read more? Oh my tonight? gosh, yeah, that's been the hardest it's part. It's like yeah. I need, we need. To, I'm also excited for this taping, but also I just want to keep reading. Right. I know, yes. and talking. Job, I want to talk for more, more time, <laughs> more time, <laughs> more time, please. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.